Hello, and welcome to Activist Connect, a podcast seeking to engage, educate, entertain, and to connect amnesty activists across the country. I'm Tiana, and I would like to begin by acknowledging the Yagara and Turbal people as the traditional owners of the land on which we're meeting on here in Brisbane. And I would like to extend my respects to elders past, present, and emerging from wherever you're listening from, and to acknowledge that this land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome back to Activist Connect. In this episode, we're going to be talking all about mental health, disability rights, and human rights. The inspiration for this episode actually came from a discussion that I had with a young Amnesty student activist recently. I recently hosted several workshops at the Queensland Amnesty Schools Conference, where I met an Amnesty student activist who had a great question about the lack of attention and campaigns in support of the rights of people with disability or people with mental health problems across the human rights movement. Hey, I'm Lachlan, the executive producer of Minds in Tune, which is this radio show about mental health, and I'm actually recording this today at an Amnesty student conference, so hopefully there's not too much background noise here. Um, And I just raised a question, actually, about why Amnesty doesn't really have a lot of campaigns surrounding mental health or disability, because their human rights, I think, are just as important as the human rights of... I guess, a lot more vocal groups in the community. And one of the facilitators was like, let's talk about that. So here I am. I'd like to preface this episode by saying that I'll be using people-first language when referring to these two groups of people, as advised by the Australian Human Rights Commission. This means I'll be using phrases like people with a disability or people experiencing mental health problems, the latter of which is a broader definition than people with mental illness, which implies the need for medical intervention. Now, Lachlan is a high school student here in Brisbane who is an Amnesty International student activist, and he's the executive producer of the radio show Minds in Tune. Minds in Tune discusses mental health and music, covering some of the biggest stories from both, diving into mental health-related topics to learn more, and featuring conversations with experts and rising musicians, all while listening to some of Australia's favourite songs, as well as tracks from undiscovered artists, for half an hour every single week. to chat all about mental health, disability rights, and the human rights movement. I think that serious reflection compels us to consider exactly whether and how Amnesty International and the human rights movement as a whole is accommodating to persons with disabilities or mental health problems and the disability rights and mental health agenda in its human rights work. So Lachlan, can you tell us a little bit about your interests and yourself? Why did you get involved with Amnesty at your school and what has your activism journey looked like so far? Um, so I guess, yeah, I'm Lachlan, um, I'm a high school student still, unfortunately, for one more year, but, you know, I'm almost free, and, um, I guess, like, for a long time I've been very interested in activism and that kind of thing, like, really just injustice, right, and then especially, like, when I got to high school and there was this amnesty group, I was like, yo, all these people think the same way, this is great, I found, I found my people, exactly, Yeah, so I guess that's really kind of, like, factored into everything I do. Like, I've written a couple books that I'm trying to get published. Wow. Um, Yeah. What have your books been about? Um, Murder mystery, that kind of thing. So. Juicy. Yeah. Awesome. 
Um, but like in writing those books, um, one of the things I did was I was like, you know, because like a lot of our literature, right, the representation for like minorities isn't there. Mm-hmm. So I was very conscious to be like, okay, this character is indigenous, this character is, and as well, like not just like, okay, this character is indigenous, let's never mention it again, you know, like at least kind of make it relevant and explore mm-hmm. kind of the issues that are relevant yeah. to them. Right, so like obviously the person who's indigenous, they have some interactions with the police and it's not great, but right, it's like kind of shining a light on their issues. And like part of that, right, is doing a shit ton of research because I'm a white guy and I don't <laughs> want to be like, this is what I think yeah. your experiences are. Um, you know, no need to hear anything you have to say, right? And then recently uh, that's evolved into... I did. I worked on a short film with my friend uh, Anya. Shout out to Anya. Um, no, because she wrote this really cool script, and I was like, "Wow, I want to watch that." Because it was for an assignment, and then her group in school picked something else to do, and I was like, "Guess I just have to make it with you now." You know, let's get this out. And that had kind of a mental health um, aspect to it because you know that's my experiences, right? Like I have you know, experience depression and anxiety in my own life. And also what factors into my activism is disability, right? Because both of my siblings are severely disabled. So I'm like, I'm the lucky one in that sense that, you know, I am able-bodied, but right, that's factored, I guess, into, you know, my journey and where I am now with having just interviewed you for my radio show about mental health, mm-hmm. which is wild, but that's like a national yeah, radio show. So Yeah, um, So how that happened was I had, like, some contacts, right, with this radio station SYN in Melbourne. Shout out to them. Shout out to <laughs> Lindsay. She's a ledge. Um, I still don't really know how it happened. Like, I had this idea for, like, this mental health and music-based podcast. And I'll be completely honest, it wasn't originally my idea. Like, I had seen an acquaintance kind of run with the same idea for a bit. But it it wasn't really viable in the end, Mm -hmm. really. So um, I did kind of acknowledge that. And I was like, yo, that's such a good, like, message and thing to be doing. I reckon, like, I want to continue that because, like there should be something like that, you know, in the podcast market, on the radio. Like, that's a message that I want to share. Mm -hmm. And as well, it's also, it's mental health and music is really the focus, right, of Minds in Tune. So, um, you know, we promote aspiring artists who may not necessarily be, like, so far we haven't had a straight white male monthly featured artist, which I'm not saying, you know, we have an agenda, but it's just Mm -hmm. nice because when you look at the TV and you look at you know, that kind of thing. It's like, you know, you want to see someone different, right? Um, So, you know, that's been going well with 13 episodes in, and yeah. Awesome. So what do you think are some of the benefits of using digital media to kind of inspire people, educate people on important issues? So, like, basically, like, I'm in high school, right? So digital media is my life. Um, (laughs) You know, (laughs) Instagram, (laughs) Facebook, Twitter, not as much because it's, a bit, it's a bit spicy yeah. uh, with the politics. <laughs> um, you know, a bit too many Nazis for my liking, uh, let's just say. But um, I think it's so important to, like, educate. Like, as you said, when I spoke to you for, you know, our interview, right, like, people don't 
if people don't know about something, then they can't work to change it. So um, we, we had a tie-in, right, with the show Minds in Tune, right, which again, like, that's online. And a big thing with that was working to get it into all the major podcast apps mm-hmm. um, and, you know, on the radio. So it's like reach, right? Um, but also then we did a blog post for International Women's Day uh, about, like, you know, let's look at women's mental health and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it tied with, like, domestic violence, um, like, gendered violence to an extent and how mental health organisations might be failing to take their needs into account, really, like, their more specific needs. And um, how we promoted that was we took some facts from that article. Like, one of them was if all of the victims of traumatic violence, all the female victims of traumatic violence in Brisbane went to the Gabba to watch the cricket, they would fill up half the stadium. My goodness. Right? Put those into some snazzy Instagram story graphics. Brought some chocolates into school. I was like, hey, who wants chocolate? Post this on your Instagram story. Like, you know, bribes. Right? And that got a lot of people, right? So it's, you know, grassroots Mm -hmm. and, you know, using all of these different promotional channels to get your message out there is so important. Awesome. Mm -hmm. What do you think some of the biggest challenges have probably been? Um, look, some of the biggest challenges, I think, have just been um, the time for it, right? I'm in year 12, mm-hmm. and that's a lot, uh, like all the assignments and exams. Yeah. So, um, you know, really, I'm like, not, like, making busy the fact that I don't have to have all the time for it right now, because mm-hmm. like, I am in high school. That's been a big thing, right? Because, like, um... You know, that's just not... That's not going to happen. So I guess that, and also there are people with a lot of, um, you know, differing opinions on issues, uh, which I'm sure you've experienced as well, right? Um, And some of them aren't the politest when they, um, you know, express their opinions (laughs) on certain issues. Yeah. So that as well has been kind of resisting the urge to fight fire with fire. Mm -hmm. That's been a big one. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Um, so at the Amnesty Schools Conference, mm. you came to me with a really interesting question yeah. about why Amnesty or the human rights movement doesn't have a lot of focus, at least in the mainstream human rights movement, on yeah. disability rights or mental health and that kind of thing. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What have you noticed um, through your work and your activism? Right. So like with my kind of environment, right, like high school and my community having grown up with to, you know, profoundly disabled siblings. Obviously, that shaped my activism and my community work, right? Like, I volunteered at um, Disabled Scout... There's a Disabled Scout camp for youth. A Goonery. Yeah. yeah. Three years. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Three years, and then I was like, okay, I think I've had enough now. My mental health cannot take (laughs) this. The stress. Um, But... Right, like that. And um, actually, some of the language, I don't want to call out a gunnerine, right? But I think amongst people my age, people think, oh, slurs, they don't exist anymore amongst, you know, mm-hmm. Gen Z. They do. I have to, you know, um, correct people when they use, you know, the R word, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I'm not saying it. And I'd like them to not say it. So, you know, every time they do say it, which is quite a lot, it's kind of like, can you maybe stop, you know, yeah. here's some different words you could use, you know, like, instead of saying, you know, this is, you know, um, you know, this is some bullshit right here, you know, like, yeah. 
anything. You can, you know, like, I'm not against swearing. I'm against <laughs> slurs. So, yeah. you know, it's... Um, really, that's been a big thing for me, right? Like, the language. and Because I think that does influence implicitly how we view disabled people. And I guess, you know, with amnesty, if that's the pervasive message in our society of these people are lesser than, right? And they don't have, I guess, as many people who are public figures advocating for them, right? Like, you can probably name a gay pop star, you can probably name a trans, you know, celebrity. I can think you probably, you know, name, like, a notable refugee, but can you name a notable person with a disability, mm-hmm. right? I'm sure you can, but, yeah. you know, a lot of people can't, and that's a bit, you know... So I guess, like, when amnesties are doing their research into, you know, what issues are going to make the biggest impact if already it isn't charting for people and it's not on their radar and they've got this view of disabled people, obviously that's not going to make an impact. And that's, you know, that's something that needs to be changed, Mm. in my opinion. So, What do you think are perhaps some ways that um, the human rights movement can kind of start to bridge this gap between like the Mm. mainstream human rights movement and then the disability rights um, movement? Right, so I guess... um, or even maybe more Finding, on like an individual level, like activists yeah, um, yeah. of the real like grassroots level. Like, what can the people listening to this podcast kind of go out and do to make change? So, a big thing for me is again, like I've been talking about it, education, mm-hmm. but like educate yourself, find some people that have disabilities who are talking, you know, about these issues, right? Um, so like, there's a really good YouTuber I know, Jessica Kellegren Frozard. Um, she's deaf. Um, has this condition that's really complicated and I can't remember it because it's very long and I've just done a QCS practice exam so that's <laughs> not not happening but um, watching her videos and her explanations like there's a really good one right that I actually saw someone share in a Twitter thread and I was like yo that one's making an impact mm-hmm. right um, it was about like plastic straws and um, how you know, going all rah rah on plastic straws. You know, that's great, right? Like, you know, love doing that for the turtles, but there's some people who need plastic straws. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was this really good video, right, that went through, like, she, like, listed all the other different types of straws and, like, why they aren't as good Mm -hmm. as plastics for disabled people, right? And I guess, like, you know, so a lot of people, right, like, my school is going through that at the moment. We had... um, this thing was like, okay, we're going to phase out plastic straws of canteens. And I was like, maybe, you know, put some paper ones in there. Yeah. Or something, you know, like, right? And that's just because it didn't really, um, you know, people didn't think about that, mm. right? So education is key. And hearing from disabled voices is a really big part of that. Mm-hmm. So, awesome. yeah. What do you think are some conversations that, uh, activists should go out uh, into the community mm. and start having um, if they're trying mm. to educate themselves um, or interact with the disabled community. So, right, like definitely interacting with the disabled community. That's a big one. Just do that. Go find them. And I guess a way to do that, right, with your activism is making sure that your events are accessible. So you're thinking, you know, if I'm in a wheelchair, am I going to be able to access this building? Right? Because there's so many events actually that, you know, they'll hold meetings and it's great. And the only entrance to the building is stairs. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how do you think that's going to work? It's not. Um, 
and you know, like not just wheelchairs, right? Because like that's what we think with disability is oh, wheelchairs. That's the you know, the first thing you think of. But it's you know, being deaf, being blind. You know, how are they gonna navigate your spaces? And I guess making your spaces more inviting and having that conversation at an organizational organizational level is what's gonna make you know that's gonna organically generate more people with disabilities coming into your spaces and having those conversations and talking about their issues. Because mm-hmm. you don't want to talk over them. You don't want to be like, oh, this is what I think the issues are. Like, no, yeah. go and ask them. That's, yeah, that's mm. like a really good point. Mm. It's, yeah, you're not kind of being a voice on their behalf. You're giving yeah. them a platform to amplify their own voices and yeah, have their own say. Um, mm. I guess finally, how can everyone tune into Minds in Tune or connect with you guys? Um, how can everyone tune into Minds in Tune? So we are in Melbourne. We are on SYN which is uh, digital radio, so you can listen to it anywhere around the world, um, 12.30pm Sundays at the moment, but that might change, mm-hmm. who knows. Um, and So that's to get so 90.7 FM in Melbourne, right? So you can listen to it in your car, on the drive, well, actually Sunday, I guess the drive <laughs> home from church, if you're religious. Um, but we were originally 6pm Fridays, so okay. yeah, we might move back there. Yeah. It'll, it depends. But, right, if you miss us, which, you know, probably will because it's 12.30pm Sunday, um, you can catch up with all of our episodes in your preferred podcast apps. We're in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor.fm, the website. If you go to mindsintune.co slash podcast, that page will pop up and you can, there'll be a button that says listen on a different platform and you can pick your preferred to listen in. Thank you so much. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lachlan, for chatting to me today about your advocacy and activism, working to create a more inclusive and accessible human rights movement. I'm sure our listeners have found it so inspiring and motivating to hear from someone so young and so active in the community working to bring about change. Looking back throughout history, we can't ignore that there has been a long history of neglect in the area of disability rights. The mainstream human rights movement has ignored, if not perpetuated, human rights abuses against persons with disabilities. The adoption of the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities over a decade ago was a response to this failure, and the failure of many national governments, to address disability issues using a human rights-based approach. New thinking on disability requires a major shift in approach. Persons with disabilities are not problems to be fixed or empty vessels waiting for their fill of charity. Today, many societies have broken free from traditional framings where barriers and participation are not viewed as limitations in the individual, but viewed in terms of society's limited vision, a shift in perspective that takes a human rights-based approach. The Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities now has a near-universal ratification and is helping to shape law and policy reform across the world. But the mainstream movement appears as though it is yet to fully embrace the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities' far-reaching vision, not only at the expense of persons with disabilities, but arguably at the peril of the human rights movement itself. The measure of the human rights movement must be the extent to which it accommodates the voices and rights of the most marginalised people within society. This poses a lot of important questions. What is the responsibility of human rights advocates to disability rights advocates? Do the leaders in the global human rights movement, including Amnesty, 
have accountabilities to the disability rights community? If so, how so? What are the opportunities for a human rights practice amongst and between the two communities that is complementary and mutually reinforcing? It is clear that disability rights and mental health are now becoming a part of the human rights agenda, and Amnesty International has indeed highlighted the connection between disability or mental health in many of its major human rights cases and campaigns. In Syria and elsewhere, internally displaced persons with disabilities and their family members are often would-be refugees who have been forced to stay behind when many of their neighbours have fled, or for disabled persons who do make it across borders into refugee camps, they are often the last to leave. The execution of those with mental health issues is clearly prohibited by international law. Virtually every country in the world prohibits the execution of people with a mental illness. However, in the US, it's estimated that 5 to 10% of those on death row have serious mental illnesses. Amnesty International's report, titled Our Hearts Have Gone Dark, shows the mental health impacts of South Sudan's conflict on civilian populations, which impacts their ability to cope with the normal stresses of life, work productively, and be active members of their communities. Amnesty International Australia has also documented the serious challenges in accessing healthcare for refugees who are kept locked up indefinitely in offshore processing facilities. And there have been multiple reports of suicide and self-harm from refugees kept in these facilities. health problems face barriers even in their efforts to become human rights defenders. These barriers place limits on engagement in community organising and human rights education and training, limiting opportunities to engage with human rights actors or to pursue training and education that can build essential advocacy skills and relationships. These issues should prompt questions for the human rights movement. Will strengthening efforts to accommodate disability rights advocates into the mainstream human rights movement strengthen and further diversify the human rights movement? I think it's fair to say that the answer is definitely yes. So, how can amnesty activists like yourself be more inclusive and accessible? If you're organising an event, think about how to get there. If you're hosting an in-person event like a rally, consider how folks will get there. Will you be chartering a bus? Can a ride share be arranged? How can you make these options available to those who use mobility aids and wheelchairs and scooters? Can you offer an off-site component? This could mean moderating an online stream of the event, sending letters, making phone calls, whatever people can do to contribute from home. Offering these tasks to folks with disabilities gives them the opportunity to take part in a meaningful way, even if they can't be there in person. Next, consider the venue. Make an effort to choose venues which are accessible to everyone. Then, whatever venue you choose, make this information available. Do folks in chairs need to use the back door? Will they be taken up a special elevator? If you're working online, offer multiple ways for people to interact with and learn from your content. Many people have a primary mode that they prefer to work in, whether that's written content, audio, workshops and trainings in person, video or another format, it's worth exploring how you can make your work accessible to people who aren't comfortable with one method. Next, make your content accessible to people who are visually, sensory or hearing impaired. Anything that's online needs to be fully accessible. 
Make sure you're captioning and transcribing audio and video content, offering image descriptions, using a descriptive link text, and avoiding flashy animations amongst other accessibility practices. But no matter where you're working from, you can always be more inclusive by beginning an activity or an event with an acknowledgement of country, by asking people their preferred pronouns, and asking people to let an organizer know if they have specific needs or concerns. Campaigning for human rights can be really tough. You're probably an activist with amnesty because you care deeply about people and want to create a world where everybody's human rights are protected. But this can also put you in a place where you're exposed to human rights abuses or where your drive to change the world can impact your mental health. Burnout and vicarious trauma happen all the time in the activist world and it's important to keep a lookout for the signs in yourself and your friends. We couldn't have an episode about mental health without talking about self-care. Investing in yourself and your well-being is investing in your activism. So here are Amnesty Australia's top tips for activist self-care. Take some time out. Have a rest from any activism that is adding extra pressure. Do things that you love. Reconnecting with the hobbies and activities that you enjoy can help remind you that there are good things in the world. Healthy mind and healthy body. Eat healthy foods, exercise, and try to get enough sleep. This one's pretty obvious, but still very important. Spend time with the people you love. Spending time with your support network and talking about how you're feeling helps to reduce feelings of isolation and connectedness with others. Challenge your brain. Learning a new skill can help distract you from your worries, challenge you in a different way, and build a sense of accomplishment. Don't feel guilty. Sometimes people feel guilty for taking time out to do the things in their self-care box. While this can be hard, it's important to remember that you can't effectively care for others if you're not okay. Different things work for different people, but if you're planning on a long life of activism, then building up a coping bank will help you stay effective and in the game for a long time. I recently asked some of our Activist Connect listeners on social media what self-care tips they'd like to share with others. So here's what some of you guys had to say about your activist self-care tips. Spend time alone in nature. It feels great. Time away from social media is a big one for me. A break in opinions is definitely needed because as activists, it's within ourselves to want to fight against problematic comments. Block and report liberally. I like to do yoga and exercise daily without my phone. Be around supportive and uplifting people. Also, take time to absorb nature and go for a walk. Read and watch goofy books or shows. Activism is always so serious, sometimes you need to take a break. Move your body every day and make sure you wear sunscreen when you're outside. Don't feel bad for saying no. If you need to take a break, do so without feeling guilty. Never underestimate the power of a glass of wine and a good rom-com. I keep a daily journal where I dump everything that's on my brain onto paper, and then I get on with my day. It stops me from keeping negative thoughts in the back of my mind. Spend time with your activist community doing non-activist activities. Go and see a movie or go out for dinner. And don't let anything related to activism, politics, or world issues get discussed.
I hope you enjoyed this episode of Activist Connect. I certainly found it inspiring chatting to Lachlan, and I've been given lots to think about in terms of making my own activism more inclusive and accessible. Don't forget to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Activist Connect, and I look forward to connecting with you guys in our next episode. Bye.